Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. With me today is my wife, yellow player, co-host, hostess with the mostest, Haley. You forgot lovely. I know I left it out, and I forgot it, and Ah. I didn't want to go back Ah. and, like, put it in. I'll I'll let you do a retry. Go ahead. Okay. With me today is my yellow player and lovely wife, Haley. Hello. There we go. We got it figured out. Welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast, episode number 94. This episode, this episode, this podcast is all about board games, tabletop games, role-playing games, card games, everything like that that you put on a table and play with your friends. That's what we do. In all fairness, it is this episode as well. It is this episode as well. Thank you. Uh, I feel like it's been so long since we've recorded, even though it hasn't been. I know. Whenever we first started to record, I had like that that sinking like dread feeling in my stomach. I was like, oh my God, I don't think we've recorded last episode. I think it's been a month. And then I had to like go back and think, no, wait, we did record two weeks ago at the last minute. But yeah, it really feels like we haven't been on in a month. It really does. I mean, yeah, the last episode we did at Flesh and Blood card game and it just feels like it's been a long time i guess that we've just honestly been busy in life in work and everything really just it's it's been crazy been sitting in a pool been picking a zucchini been getting the siding replaced on the front of the house Been getting skeeter bites because we got big ass skeeters in oklahoma due to all the rain the last two weeks followed by humidity my grass is literally i mowed it the next day it looks like i need to mow it again it's crazy. When they say the grass is always greener on the other side, that's not always a good thing. It is not always a good thing because, oh, I'm tired of doing yard work. And now that it's like, you know, if I go out and do yard work when the yard's shaded, let's say 730, maybe 7 o'clock, 7, 7 to 730, nah. I'm spending an hour and a half and it's still like 90 degrees and it's exhausting. Like, to give you guys a reference, you know those misters at theme parks? Where you walk under an umbrella, it's just like a mist of cool water misting all over your face. It's been like that, but imagine the water is about 107 degrees, and that's what you're walking through. I took Margie for a walk within three minutes. I don't even wear a lot of makeup, and it was already melting off of my face. It is really, really, really humid. It's like, I don't know what, it was 95, 96 degrees today, and the humidity is like 80%. Yeah. But guys, I've been using my kiddie pool. She has been able to use her kiddie pool, finally. I might be 29 years old, sitting with my belly, only like belly button high in the pool water. But God dang it, it is magical. It is mystical. It was the best $20 and 17 minutes filling the pool I've ever spent. It does take a while to fill a pool, which is always amazing to me, because you think, ah, it'll be fast. Garden hoses put out a lot of water. Nope. Not whenever it is a one-foot-tall Five foot wide above ground swimming pool. Wading above, pool? Above, uh, kitty pool. Kitty pool. It's an right. above ground pool. I have a five foot above ground pool in my backyard. There you go. It's only a foot deep. No diving, please. No diving, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we've been using the kitty pool Haley has. We've had the front siding replaced, which was fantastic. There's no longer a hole in the masonite. Woo! So now we've got vinyl siding that actually repels the water in the correct way. So that's super awesome. The yard's looking good. I trimmed back the bushes. I picked a zucchini for my friend. Uh, we started, speaking of other, I guess, you know what? Let's do the beer, and then I'll talk about it. So Keep the first- suspense. Exactly. The first episode, uh, you know, it's been a minute. The first <laughs> beer of this episode is from Skydance Brewing Co., which I believe we've only had their brown ale. I cannot think of the name of that beer. 
Was it? Oh, it's going to drive me nuts. Crackers. Whatever it was, it was really good. Pull up your handy-dandy beer list there, Delton. Go, go, Gadget, Delton. Steve's rooting you on in the background. We've had a lot of sky beers. There's big sky, big sky, big sky. Mosquito Hawk. That's what we had was Mosquito Hawk. It was the Skydance Brinko Mosquito Hawk. Mosquito. Mosquito. We say it. We don't pronounce the O in the correct manner. This, however, is also from Skydance. This is Res Dog, an American blonde ale. Smooth, crisp, refreshing, 4.9% alcohol by volume. It says Res Dog. The Res Dog has no master. He roams free on the res, which if you, I guess if you don't live in Oklahoma, this might be a new term. It's reservation, uh, which is Native American reservations. There's a lot of them in Oklahoma. So uh, he roams free on the res and still runs in a pack the way his ancestors did. He's easily identifiable by the limp in his step or the battle wounds from a tough life on the res. Res Dog is a crisp, refreshing ale made with Pilsner malt and a generous amount of holler towel in the dry hop. The perfect everyday drinker. It is a very light one. I've had this one before. I bought this six-pack about two weeks ago, and this is the last one. I think so. Um, I have not actually... I think I tasted it, but I haven't truly drank it. It's a very... It's a very good sessioner. It's a very pale yellow. Looks like lemonade with carbonation. I mean, really. It's a pale ale. It's a pale lemonade. It's got a good head retention so far. Not real thick, but still there. Really nice, light smell. It smells very sweet, but not sticky sweet. It does. It's like a floral sweet. Very carbonated, but not overly so. It finishes bright, which is nice. It almost has a tiny bit of that sourness from a wheat, like a wheat beer style. A teensy tiny bit, but not enough to say that that's the flavor of the beer at all. Like, I feel like this would be a good bridge beer between Bud Light and Craft. 100%. If you have an American light lager and you want to get into better craft beers, this is definitely a good step, just like uh, Dad Talk yes, from like, Rough Tail. From Rough Tail, yeah. And I, I feel like I could give this to my dad and he would actually drink it. And he is a Michelob Ultra guy. But it's, it's more full body than that. Like, I don't want to compare it, this no, it to is. like, it's a Michelob Ultra. No, this is actually a, a very good beer. This and is a step up. Everything from Skydance has been great. It really has. I've been very impressed. And they're getting a new brewery. They're what? moving to their own full facility soon. Oh, do we get to go tour? We should. Hell yeah, brother. No, but this is really good. It's nice and crisp. It's nothing fancy, but that's a really good beer. I like that. It's a nice, good summer light beer if you want to have something that's not too heavy. Yes. But what I was going to say before we cracked this beer, which I do like, is we finally started watching Twin Peaks. Oh my God. It is so good. We are, what, we just finished the second episode of the second season? Yes. So the first season's like eight episodes. The second season's like 20. And the third season, I don't know. And there's a movie in between second and third seasons. But it's on Netflix until June 30th. So we're going to try to get through as much as we can. And then I think from it's what you said is Hulu's picking it up. Hulu already has it. Okay, so they're doing like that trade probably something. But I'll take it. I'm going to keep watching it. It's really good so far. It's definitely David Lynch has really weird stuff happening in it. It reminds me in parts of the way Eraserhead sits and lingers on a shot or a scene or a moment, and it is almost an awkward linger. Except it's not miserable, like a razor head. Yeah, arguments can be made. I've already used some Agent Cooper wisdom in my therapy. I wish you would use Agent Cooper wisdom on the cat in the hallway, <laughs> because he's being so loud. He is, but he, he just misses us. But yeah, do you want to know what I used in therapy? What'd you use? So, self-care. 
Agent Cooper says in the last, I think it was the last episode of the first season, he is going to the uh, the cafe and he's there with Sheriff Truman. And Sheriff Truman's like, we got to book it. And Agent Cooper's like, no, we got to get some coffee. And Truman's like, no, we got to book it. And he says, Agent, or Sheriff Truman, once per day, you should give yourself a present, whether it is a 20-minute nap, a special surprise, or a cup of coffee. And I've been using that in therapy. It's like a self-care. Once per day, give yourself a present. And what he said was, uh, it was unplanned. Yeah, don't plan for it. Make it unexpected. Just give yourself a present. Unexpected present. So for him, it was stopping to have a cup of coffee. I feel like... It's a very good motto. I want to grow up to be Agent Cooper. Yeah, he's pretty great. He is pretty great. (laughs) But that's what we've been doing TV-wise. We could talk about Tibet all day long. Yeah, for real. And I've been watercoloring. Haley has been working on her watercolors. If you follow her on Twitter, at Squirrely Geek, then uh, you can see her watercolor paintings she's been posting. I am basically, my job, my dream is to grow up to be a retiree. All I want to do <laughs> is sit on my back porch, uh, put my feet up, crack a beer, talk to the neighbors, yell at the neighbor kids, paint a watercolor, tend to my garden, have some coffee, complain, and have a nap. There you go. That is, that's what I do for my self-care, so basically I'm just aspiring to be a retiree. You know what I've been thinking lately? This is a random tangent. What's that? But I figured, you know, it's the banter. You listener, yes, you, you like to hear our random thoughts. Uh, if you go back now, it is, you know, 2021, and you go back and watch the 1920, uh, 1922 Nosferatu, the difference in, like, cinema, right? Nah old black and white they had to film it you could tell that things were like sped up in the way that they have to edit to make sure it flows like a real person real weird um you go back and watch that you watch a movie now and the movies are awesome visually we have all the cgi i wonder what movies in the next hundred years like what real improvements can they make yeah because at this point we've got stuff we've got screens that show an 8k resolution which is uh, from my understanding, eight times the resolution of a standard high-def 1080p TV. Like, it's something like eight times that, right? It's a lot. You look at anything, if you look at an 8K picture next to a 4K picture, sure, the differences are minute. But the thing is, we keep approaching the closer and closer to realistic, your eyes are there. And sometimes it's almost more detailed than you feel like you could really see. So what improvements can we make? And in 100 years, are the movies from 2021 going to look like the movies from 1922 to us now you know i have I, yeah I, I, I wonder what the next step really is i have two comments for that okay one is delton didn't cut out anything there was no silence between me talking about being a retiree and him jumping into this conversation <laughs> that's just where his brain went like that is delton's brain I'll, i can explain that in a moment <laughs> continue okay so that's my step one so Number two, no, I agree. I think that even looking back into the year 2000, like Mission Impossible in 2000, like, oh my God, that was cheesy as hell. Even though whenever we were eight or nine, like, oh my God, that is so cool. But we're also going to see a huge improvement because Oklahoma just passed the Filmed in Oklahoma Act of 2021, which offers financial incentives for filming in Oklahoma. So now they're about to get even more awesome. We can be an extra. Hey, that's true. That'd be cool. Yeah. So the way I got onto that, you're talking about being a retiree. And then I was like, oh, being a retiree. Wait, wait, wait. This is how Delton's brain works. Okay. Everybody pay attention. This is a really short, easy connection. You're talking about being a retiree, gardening, yelling at neighborhood kids, having coffee. My brain was thinking, oh, man, I just have so much time to watch movies. Then I thought, wait, what are movies going to be like when I'm 80 years old? And I'm like, you know what? 
I want to go back and watch The Thing again from 1984 or 86 or whatever year it was. And I was like, man, that movie's already feels a little old now. In a hundred years, is our movie's going to be so advanced that a movie from 2021 is going to feel old. And so then my brain just went to that. So it was actually a short connection compared uh, to sure. usual. Because usually it's like we're talking about, let's say, the grocery list. And we're talking about what we're going to have for dinner tonight. And then Delton's starting to talk about uh, the Middle Ages. I'm like, okay, how did you get there? And he's like, well, you know, we were talking about dinner. And then you talked about having zucchini. I thought about this one time my grandma made zucchini. And when my grandma made zucchini, she always paired it with steak. Well, I was thinking about, you know, the one time, you know, I had this steak at Outback Steakhouse. My mom stole a butter knife. And I started thinking about butter knives. And I started thinking about craft knives. And I started thinking about German dagger fighting. And then that brought me to the Middle Ages. Like, that's normally how his brain works. That's pretty accurate, but it was not, <laughs> that is not where my mother, I had her steal the butter knife. Where was it? That was some steakhouse in Yukon. It was my birthday, and the butter knife is awesome, and it stands on its, I guess it would be the blade. <laughs> You're going to get her arrested. I, for real. People in Oklahoma City have been getting felonies over the last <laughs> month for not returning videotapes in 95, and your, you your mom's going to get a felony for this butter knife because I, of you. I told her it was my birthday, and I wanted it, and she just slipped it in her purse because <laughs> she's a great mom. Okay, I'm a model citizen, thank you. She also taught me how to siphon gas, so she is a great mom. She's very good at that. Yeah, hey, It was when, for our own car, from when, her own car. When so you do what fine. you have to do to get to work in the day, it's fine. We siphoned from her car to our car, so it was yes, not a felony. It was not bad. Just putting that out there into the universe. Yep. So the last thing for banter before we move into the game <laughs> of this episode, uh, we are drinking currently from our BGG Con glasses. Those are our Board Game Geek convention glasses. Mine's from 2018 when I went by myself and, you know, obviously roomed with Alan. Haley's is from 2019. When I found out Delton was a two-timer. When we also roomed with Alan. Yes, I was a two-timer. It asks how many times you've been there. And I said, I'm a two-timer instead of my second time. But news this week broke that they will be having a BGGCon 2021. It's at the same hotel as last year, downtown Dallas. Awesome place. Anybody who bought tickets last year have already been carried over to this year. If they do not want a refund, then um, they continue their tickets. It will let carry over. In the next few weeks, they will release, I think it's like 1,700 people carried over. They will open it to 2,500 attendees. If those tickets, after those tickets sell out or don't, um, later on in like August, I think they said they're going to release like another 1,000. It's only going to be within 100 or so people of last year, but... Everything, of course, is tentative as long as COVID regulations keep loosening, numbers keep going down, vaccinations keep going up, the deaths keep going down, and things seem to keep improving, then the situation will improve. But for now, they're going to be planning like certain mask-required game spaces for people that are more comfortable, spacing things out a little bit in different areas. So if that's something you want, that has been, I think, our favorite convention we've been to given and the cheapest convention it is also one of the cheapest conventions given though we usually go to that one and hang out with friends the whole time which really does make a convention better uh we don't know if we're gonna go or not yet because we don't know if our friends are going which is kind of a big point for us so uh that being said if it's something you're interested in and you don't mind going or you and a friend have been looking forward to it with all the other conventions not really happening i guess gen con is but it's much smaller and a lot of publishers have backed out uh, it wouldn't be a bad time, I think, to give BGG Con a shot. There's probably going to be tickets a little more easily accessible. It should be easier to get a hotel room, hopefully. So I just wanted to uh, announce that here. 100% do recommend. After that, let's get into this game so we can get this podcast moving. Oh, here's the door. 
<sighs> it's straight ahead. It's it's a game. So the game for today is on loan to us from Brian. Uh, he picked this up at Barnes & Noble. The game today is Call to Adventure. Craft your hero, claim your destiny. Call to Adventure is designed by Chris and Johnny O'Neill. Uh, there's quite a few people here. I'm going to go ahead and shout them all out because normally I do like, you know, graphic design and it's one or two people. This one's like 10, but I mean, there's a lot of pretty th cards. There are a lot of pretty cards and stuff and that's part of it too. Uh, I guess it's the artists that have a lot, but yes, I'm going to go ahead and shout out everybody because I, I do that anyway. The graphic designers are Matt Paquette, David Pietrandrea, Ryan Prince. The artists are Adam J. Marin. Paul Scott Canavan, Christian Biscop, Artem Demura, Max Bedulenko, Sean Robinson, Jordan Jardine, Spencer Hidalgo, Chris Cold, and Sean Thurlow, and then Fantasy Coin Imagery Courtesy of CampaignCoins.com. Development team is Matt Gonzalez, Leslie Greidel, Mario Suhardi, and Kyle Montas. Oh, and Chaz Welker. Those are the full like credits in the rulebook. So there's a lot of cards with a lot of different artwork. So Brian picked this up because it was a game all about choosing. Uh, basically, the game elements make you build a story as you play. Think of like a choose your own adventure in a way. It kind of is. So everybody has their own little like table in front of you, your own little tableau, and you get three cards to start. You have your origin, your motivation, and your destiny. So it's kind of like the beginning of your story is your origin, the motivation of your story is the middle, and the destiny is the final parts of your story. So act one, act two, and act three. The way the game is going to work is you reveal your origin and motivation, and then a row of cards from act one is laid out. Everybody around the table will try to accomplish challenges or pick up traits which add to your story as well as your abilities, points, and things like that. So to start... Your origin card and your motivation card will give you certain symbols like fortitude or wisdom or strength. And those are going to allow you to attempt challenges with a higher chance for success. So this is probably the first really neat thing I like in this game. Uh, it, uh, in effect, they're dice. However, it's these little runes. So they're different. They're two-sided runes. There are the core runes, which are on one side, it's like one point. On the other side is blank. And there's two of those. Then there's one that's a point and one that is draw a card, either the hero or anti-hero card. And depending on if your character has been built good or evil, depends on which cards you can play. And those have different effects in the game. But what I like is when you attempt a challenge, you throw those three core runes as well as any of the runes that correspond to like, if the card can take wisdom, as long as you have wisdom, you can throw up to three wisdom runes depending on how many wisdom indicators you have on the cards. So like one card can give you a wisdom. So now you have that anytime you can do a challenge that accepts wisdom as a trait. So it's neat because you take these two-sided runes, shake them up and throw them. And it's almost like we talk about like reading the bones, you know, you throw it and shake it and then see what came of it. It's actually a really neat, simple system. It just replaces dice, but it feels different than that. It feels almost like your story, like not storytelling, like your uh, crafting not only crafting, like what's the, 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 the orb storyboarding. No, like the, Brainstorming. the, the mystic orb. You have a person who reads the future. I'm blanking crystal ball, a crystal ball. It's like, you're looking into the crystal <laughs> ball, telling somebody their future. 
That's kind of how I felt. Ah. Casting those out and reading it to determine if I'm, oh, it looks like you did do, like, this is what you've done. Like, that's how it felt to me. So you're going to be picking these cards up by either completing challenges, which is throwing those runes down, effectively dice, based on your traits, and you'll be gaining new cards. Now, what's so cool about this is on those cards, uh, the trait cards are pretty much a one-sided thing. It's like, hey, you can pick this up if you have at least two charisma, and you put it on your person, and it will be the trait of, like, you know, uh, local barterer. Like, you're really good at bartering now, and that's something you were known for in your early days. Or a street scrapper. Or a street scrapper. You were known for, you know, getting in fights. And the traits are always one-dimensional like that. But what I like is the challenge is you get a choice. The challenge could be, you know, fight in the street. You can either, like, accept the fight and become, like, a brawler, or you can back down and train to become a fighter. So you have two options for your story. Each one presents you with potentially a different, uh, like, difficulty of challenge. Each one will generally be a different type of uh, trait that you gain. So let's say you gain the scrapper one, you now get a strength. So when you have a challenge with strength, you'll have that. Or if you go and train, you'll have like a wisdom trait or a fortitude trait or something like that. So it's neat that you can choose the direction you go, not just based on points, but or based on the runes you get for later, but based on what story you want to build your person as, which is like a really neat thing about it, I think. I really like it too, because at the very beginning, you have two traits, two traits, and that's it. And as you collect these traits and characteristics that Delton is talking about, you can either gain different traits or you can strengthen the ones you already have. So you can collect like three of the same trait. And that means that that trait like wisdom is very strong or you can diversify and have a little bit and everything, be a jack of all trades. But as the game goes on, it really feels like you can feel the experience growing because at first, whenever you're trying to get a card, like we probably went, I would say five or six rounds before we actually, everybody had three cards in the first round. Because you, you, what happens is the first person to get three traits or three characteristics, then it moves on to the next round and the level two opens up. And so at first, you know, we all have like two traits. We're not very strong. We're not very good. We lose challenges really easily. We gain a lot of experience points whenever we lose. Whenever you lose a challenge, you gain experience points. But starting with round two, once we each have three cards under our belt, it became a lot easier to get those challenges. And you can start to cultivate. Uh, what kinds of cards you want to go for. And now my destiny, my destiny was to have one of every skill type, which I did not meet. I was one card away Boo. in the last round. It was so sad. But, you know, as, as the game went on, you know, I could definitely tell that my strategy was very different than like Delton's who really specialized or Brian's who specialized more. That's very true. One thing I'll clarify just to make it make more sense as well. Uh, you have that initial starting like origin card the traits and challenges you complete, you'll tuck behind it, either the top poking out or the bottom poking out. Once your origin card has three cards underneath it, you can then move to the second card, your motivation card, and start tucking cards behind it. So when Haley was saying we each have three cards, once somebody hits three cards, they move to that second row, uh, which is more difficult in Act 2, which is the middle story of their character. But yes, you can with that uh, Destiny card that you get, you can specialize. My Destiny card said I get one point for every anti-hero, which is the uh, black Trinity Knot cards on the back of them. Every one of those in my hand, I get a point at the end of the game, where normally you only get a point for the ones you've played. So I was able to just, I spent 
all my turns saying, draw cards, draw cards, draw cards, draw cards, draw cards, draw cards, over and over and over again. That way I had a bunch to play, but also any I didn't play were points at the end. And I got a buttload of points just from cards, which was really nice. But it is, it's a really... Uh, Delton won. I did win the game. This is the first time we've played a new game that Haley did not stink and win. <laughs> Second place. Now, something we did not do in this game yet is there is a co-op version. We have not played the co-op version. We were going to try to play it before this episode. Time did not work to our advantage. We've just had too much going on and too much going on tomorrow for Blame us to be able to- Blame the therapy to... licensing board. Exactly. So it's been a busy time, especially for Haley. And I'm going to say that because it's like 85% Haley, 15 me with like yard work and working out. So, yes, we have not played the co-op yet, but I imagine the co-op is just as fun. Uh, the hero and anti-hero cards tend to mess with your opponent quite a bit. It's not anything super, like, debilitating, but it can, like, prevent you from, prevent them from getting a challenge card or a trait. For example, I had one that was, uh, play this whenever an opponent loses a challenge and you get to do that challenge. Yeah, so that one doesn't really hurt them, but it helps you. And there's some stuff like that. Now, one thing that this brings to mind is we did have some issues with the rule book not really clarifying timing. The cards you play in your hand, it they're supposed to tell you when you can play it. So like when someone's attempting a challenge. Well, the thing is, is if you go into the rule book and look at the rules for attempting a challenge, it doesn't specify a timing. It's like when you attempt a challenge, the first thing it tells you is assess the difficulty indicated by the number on the left side of the card. If that's the beginning of attempt a challenge, I feel like, and Brian was the same way, we kind of felt like we needed to lay out ground rules of like, you have to pick which card and which good or bad or top or bottom, whatever aside you were going for. After you've chosen it, then someone could play a card that says you have to try something different or this next, you know, your opponent's next challenge has a plus one difficulty. So there were some timing issues, a few little rules, things like that, that we weren't sure how to handle. And Board Game Geek has quite a bit in the rules forums. I found some things that were helpful enough that we could push through it. But be aware if you do play it, there may be some questions. And sometimes I feel like I'm a lunatic and I notice these rulings when nobody else would. But at the same time, Brian does the same thing. And I think it's a Magic the Gathering thing. Because when you play Magic... Every single thing has a very specific timing and ruling and way and manner in which it works, which is why that game can stay together for the most part, right? And I am not a magic player, which is why my family played the Uno rules wrong constantly for That's the last everybody, 25 years. Everybody plays the Uno rules wrong. And Monopoly. And Monopoly rules wrong. But uh, just be aware, it does have some wonky rules. The rule book is concise and everything is simple, but you will run into a couple things. And they're not always answered on BGG. They are not always an answered, at least not officially answered. It could be somebody with their opinion of the rules or their interpretation, uh, you know, but that's kind of how that goes. But yeah, the game just continues that way until you get to the end. You do a bunch of scoring at the end, and I actually found this to be a really enjoyable game. Um, once we kind of got through the rules, I think it took us an hour for three players, and two mm -hmm. of us are new to it. Right. Uh, now that we've played it, I bet we could get it done in 30, 45 minutes, depending oh, yeah. on what how long we took, but... We could probably do it in, in the 30-minute timeline. The, the game says 30 to 60, and it does have solo rules as well. Uh, but yeah, so I enjoyed Call to Adventure. Uh, definitely something worth looking at. It's got some cool artwork, some really nifty ideas, and I, you know, there's a lot, obviously, I haven't talked about because I could go into too much detail with all the little things, but uh, I liked it. I thought it was a cool game. 
I did too. But my favorite part, I know I, I love the gameplay, and of course I always love the experience of playing with you and Brian, but my favorite part was the storytelling. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So before we get into the topic, there's going to be two things here. One, I forgot to say this is published by Brotherwise Games. So there's that. Uh, two is let's do the next beer. So this next beer is, I think, a gorgeous can. It is from Black Mesa Brewing Company. This is Los Naranjos Coffee Stout. It is 8% alcohol by volume. It says we have partnered with local roasters to create a coffee stout that is cold fermented with beans that are sourced from around the world. We use a de-bitter black malt to add a dark, rich color to this stout without adding the roastiness. The coffee flavor comes from the roasted beans, which have been added to the beer cold and allowed to steep for 14 days. I'm excited. I haven't tried this one. You guys had this at when we were playing Talisman. Yep, our first Talisman session. First of the two Talisman sessions. Yes. I got stories about that, too. But I don't think I got to try this one. I know you had it, but I don't think I had a sip or anything. I thought you did, but if not, hey, that's okay. I'm pouring my own beer. I did let Haley pour it because she's going to get more by a lot. Oh, God. No rugs were it, harmed in the pouring of this beer. So this one has great head retention, a nice thick foamy head on it. It is black as night. Cannot see through it at all. It smells like cold brew coffee, like this little Starbucks cans. Like that little bit of sweetness the in there. A little bit of sweetness, like those little double shots. It smells yeah. exactly like a double shot. It really does just smell like cold brew coffee. Really tame carbonation, just to write them out. Tastes like it, too. It tastes like a carbonated double shot. Like a double shot nitro. You don't even taste the alcohol. It just tastes you like... You don't. It tastes like a Starbucks double shot. It's like a thick coffee. Like the ones... I mean, I've been vegan for a while, so it's been a while since I've tasted it, but like the little ones with the cream inside yeah. and they're sweetened. Yeah. That's what it tastes like. Am I crazy? No, it's got a great mouthfeel to it. It doesn't leave anything behind on the finish, which is nice and kind of different sometimes for a stout like this. Wow. You really don't have the maltiness, which is weird from the de-bittered malt that it talked about. Uh, you get a lot of coffee flavor. My mouth is starting to salivate now mm -hmm. after I finish the drink. I didn't realize Black Mesa was from Norman. Yeah, they're from Oklahoma. Well, looky they're there. They're not one that we get a lot, but every time I try them, well, you know, I honestly can't remember the last time I tried one, but I feel like I've tried them before and said, hey, this is really good. 100%. Good stuff. This coffee stout, though, is legit. It just tastes like a, a thick, cold coffee with like a little bit of extra something in there that you can't put your finger on, but it's very light. Caffeine. Love. Booze. It's really good. It's a really good coffee stout. I like it a lot. But we were talking about storytelling. Can I tell a tangent? Go ahead. The best autobiography book title I have ever seen came out in like 2003. It was Tori Spelling. Her autobiography was called Tori Spelling Storytelling. And I will never forget that. I thought that was just the coolest thing whenever I was 11. And that, that I've never seen a biography title that has beat that. Can I ask a question? Yes. Who is that? So Aaron Spelling was her father and he was a television producer and he produced like I believe he's the one who produced, like, the first Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and all those, like, okay. early 90s shows. I could be wrong. Internet, correct me. You're really good at that. But uh, 
I, I watched, my mom was obsessed with like B-list entertainers in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. So we watched E! Entertainment all the time. Yep. And Tori Spelling was on promoting her book, Storytelling with Tori Spelling. And I just wanted to share that because we're talking about storytelling. So that's my storytelling. My name, Haley Storytelling, doesn't really have the great ring to it. To no, it. Not quite, no. So after that, let's get back to the topic here. Uh, the topic is storytelling. Part of what made us want to do storytelling today is, as you kind of heard in the game talk about Call to Adventure, the traits and challenges that you are doing in that game give your character a story to basically your whole character. I mean, that's it. They give your character a story. I guess I should have ended that differently. I ended it with a weird inflection. And that's something that makes this game interesting because a lot of games that kind of have, I mean, this, you know, it's, you're getting cards. It's kind of a bit of an engine builder in a way because you're gaining these things that help you get more cards. So it's got a little bit of engine building. It's got all this stuff, but there are times and there were times in this game that I found myself choosing things because I thought the story fit. So my person was like a student and they were an orphan and they were secret royalty that they didn't know about. And then I was forced into service is what happened in the middle of my life. I became a lone survivor after like an expedition up a mountain. And then in the end, I like sacrificed my army and dethroned the queen because I had the blood of the dragon. And it was like, it all came together in this like interesting way in, to me. But it was because those decisions, those story points, I was like, you know what? My person uh, committed a crime whenever he was the sole survivor. So in my story I built was he did something to sacrifice somebody to keep himself alive. Basically your entire army, but you. Well, that was later in life. I sacrificed an entire army to keep myself alive, but I still was able to dethrone the queen because of it. So something happened. So it was like those decisions were more fun because they made sense with my character. If I would have been a lone survivor and I did some kind of heinous hidden crime and then I dethroned the queen, but then I did something like really happy. It would have been weird, right? But this game also has slightly, I don't, I don't want to say ambiguous story elements, but general ones. Like you Left found your true love. Yes, I feel like the third act is where they're the most specific. But the first and second one, yes, you have a lot of interpretation into them. Mine was a street scrapper who was born lucky and relied too much on his luck and did not reach his destiny. So. Womp womp. His name was Beavis. I did reach my destiny because I had the blood of the dragon. Blood of the dragon. What was your name, too? What was uh, it Kenneth? No, I didn't have a name, and then I made up something stupid on the spot. I don't remember. I thought it was Kenneth. I don't think it was Kenneth. I oh. never named anything Kenneth. Oh, okay. I was Beavis. Anyway, <laughs> I should have been butthead, I guess. <laughs> uh, anyway, I liked in this game, though, making decisions based on that storytelling element because I feel like when you play a lot of games, you know, there's... There's not built-in story elements like that, but when there are, I feel like it makes the game more interesting. You're not just taking the higher point route. You're not just taking something because it gives you this special power, but you can take something because it fits the story of your character or the story that you want to give your character. And that is true in games that have story as elements. That's true in RPGs as well as non-story games. Like I've, I've talked about before in Agricola, I am always a vegan farmer. Not once have I produce any kind of food for my family that is animal-based is strictly beer and grain so we're a bunch of drunken carbo loads but by god i have won every game but one i lost it to mac but that's part that's part of my story like i i always prioritize feeding my people and being a vegan farmer and i like to apply that to other games as well 
So in that situation, in something like Agricola, is it easier to, for you to come up with something like, I mean, A, you're a vegan farmer because that's just your personality, but you make that part of your story. Now, contrast that with uh, something like At the Gates of Loyang, where you're a vegetable farmer delivering goods. Do you find that Agricola's super openness of theme, where it's just like, you work the fields, versus you're these people, here are the paintings, drawings of, like, do you find it's easier to input your own story when there's either a complete lack of story and theme, or do you find it easier when there's something like Call to Adventure, where it gives you those story elements just readily? So I'm thinking, like, with Agricola, like, it's so open, there's so much that you can do. Stories sometimes give you an anchor. So goals where there are no goals. And so, frankly, like, I, I could play the game however I wanted to. I could, you know, slaughter innocent cattle. Just kidding. Sorry. Sorry, meat eaters. It's okay to eat meat. It's just personal choice for me. Anyway, uh, like, when it comes to, like, a Google, I know that I could feed beef. And it had no effect. I mean, it might have a good effect to my points. Positive effect. Could have beat Mac. But uh, for me, this, adding a story whenever I can kind of provides an anchor, provides me like a set of goals. Because I feel like whenever you first start a game, you're trying to figure everything out. And it's easy to go towards 15 different goals to try to see which one wins, especially if you're only playing it the first or second time. And so whenever I craft a story to go along with it, you know, one, it's fun, but two, it kind of gives me a direction to go for my gameplay. I guess that makes sense. Do you try to do that in a lot of your games? I really do. That seems crazy. <laughs> it's like whenever I, we played 1960, yeah. Make it the president. I'm more likely to be dirty if I'm Nixon because it's more fun. Because that is more fitting to the, I don't know, to the Nixon pu campaign. Pu public perception and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. And whenever I'm Kennedy, even though there's some issues with the Kennedy family too, but of course. with Nixon, I mean, everyone thinks of Nixon as like the, I am, he's, he's not a crook. He claims he's not a crook, which makes you go, mm, he's a crook. Yeah, okay. But yeah, I like to play a little more, more dirty on that side. I think just injecting those story elements, for me, for me it's fun. I could see that. I, I tend to try to, in something like Agricola, I don't use the story stuff because it's so open. It's almost too open. Now, there are the occupation cards in Agricola, like you could be a baker or you could be a, a bricklayer, things like that. Um, but I don't really see those as a driving story element for myself. But a game like Call to Adventure or playing a role-playing game where the story elements are just there and it's like, hey, pick me up and you can be, this can be part of your story now. Ha ha! Like, I feel like that's easier to get into, but maybe that's because it takes less creativity in the moment. I can make a choice between two things or four things or eight things versus I'm not making any choices. I have to make this up in my head and find a way now to make that fit. Does that make sense? It does. And so my question for you is, when yeah. it comes to role-playing games, are you guided by what's best points-wise or are you guided uh, based on what your character does? So in role-playing games, I tend to play the character more like myself or how I think that character would be if it was me in that scenario. So I try to, I, I basically try to make the character a version of me that is like in the, in our current campaign is a dwarf prophet in, you know, the, the talisman uh, RPG. So I try to imagine myself, okay, I'm a dwarf, I'm a prophet, I'm a, you know, a holy person. I get these visions. How would I approach it? And so I just play it from that perspective. How do you approach it? So I approach it as whatever my character's personality is, whatever their characteristics are, I try to em embody that in my decision-making. I think about the 
the very first role-playing game we played with, with Christina and Micah. And I was like this big buff bodyguard who didn't have a lot of brains. Like, I, I tried to play like that, like with brute strength, really didn't think things through. And so it may not necessarily fit for the game. The, the motivation of my characters are always to benefit the group. But I try to make decisions through their lens. And so like, for example, the talisman. Um, so right now, I love my character. My character is, has something magical about them, was raised in a hermitage by their grandfather who uh, passed away. And yet, so I was raised with like zero social skills. And my grandfather's dead, yet somehow I still keep talking to him. And I pretend like, or I seem to think that everyone else can see grandfather too. But my, my person has no social skills. They're a little crazy, but they still try. And so whenever I interacted with somebody um, in the game, like a non-player character who had just lost their dad, like I'm trying to comfort them, but I don't know how. So my motivation is to comfort them. But also my character, I recognize, has zero social skills because they're raised as a hermit and also has like this weird accent because they're raised in the hills that nobody can understand. So, of course, I'm going to fail in that interaction, even though I really tried. And it's pretty great. So, I mean, that right there is a big difference in the way people can approach storytelling and uh, and their characters in a role playing game specifically. Because there, I feel like there is there are, I feel like there are two classes, uh, not game classes, but classes of people. Which is, I'm playing the character as myself, or I'm playing the character as the character. And I almost feel like, and this is kind of funny, your approach to me is the video game approach. Really. So if you were to play a video game, would you rather jump into a game that gives you a character and says, play this character? Or would you rather be able to create the character and then play as that? Because if you think about like a, this is kind of a weird one though, but like, uh, oh, I'm trying to come up with something that's making sense in my head because I imagine, you know, you play something like Skyrim. Yes, you're always in the same role in Skyrim, but you create the race of your character, the class of your character, how they're going to fight, what they look like, what their, you know, alignment is, what gods they believe in, what powers are you going to have, what's your strengths and weaknesses, all of that, right? So you create that character so you can play the way you want to play the character, even though it's still the same story. Versus Something like when you jump into, you know, a, a single player game like, let's just go back easy, Legend of Zelda. You're playing the character they create for you. This character is good at only what that character is good at. And you have to now play it for what it is, not what you want it to be. I feel like I like playing within the constraints. You like having that ch choice made for you where you can say, okay, I'm going to make this character exactly who they need to be with. Obviously, there's a little twist there. Well, not necessarily. Like. I, I like being given constraints, being given boundaries and borders yeah. and having to be creative within within them. So that's why like pre-made characters, mm -hmm. like, I, I mean, I like making my own characters. Like I wrote the, Brian helped me, but I wrote a lot of the backstory for my little, little characters I have. But I, I like having those constraints. Like you cannot do this because you're not powerful enough yet. Or yeah. why would you be able to communicate with this person whenever you sound like a, a Scottish hick? Yeah. Like, I like having those constraints and having to work through them. And so, like, not that I wouldn't, and I, I have created my own character, but yeah. I like to create my character not as infallible, not as perfect things, not as... Of course. Like, they, I want them to have flaws, faults, and things that keep them back, because I like those constraints and working within them. I mean, that also makes the character more believable, right? Yeah. It's the same thing with any TV show you watch. The more realistic and believable and fallible those characters are, the more likely it is that you're going to be able to attach to them, which in general, I'm going to say in general, 
makes the show better. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with, I feel like, role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games. Uh, now, like I was, I was kind of referencing the video game world a little bit more, um, just because that's an easy comparison for some people to make. Like, if you haven't played a role-playing game, uh, it makes sense in your head of, like, how that's supposed to work. But until you've done it, I feel like you don't know what you're going to do yet. Yeah. Because that's how I was. I thought, oh, I'm going to play this character. I'm going to be this, you know, blah, 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 blah. Who, I got a sword. And then <laughs> when it came down to my first session, it just became me trying to be that character. Uh, like, I'm trying to make the character into me instead of me trying to make myself into the character, which is more of your approach. Yeah. Even though you have some say into different things. I've also done acting before. So, like, that's true. That's something I put my like head into a different character and yeah, like have you're a theater that. person so. i'm a theater person like yeah and i am not at all whatsoever not a little <laughs> bit so for me it's very hard to do that kind of stuff but that's where we're at yeah but it's still fun like you can approach it from either different way and but you do need kind of a balance too because so we're playing a uh, talisman uh First of all, I was given a staff and a scythe, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm a hermit. So, like, of course I have these items in my bag, and I had nothing in regards to weapons. And there were, like, two turns in, like, at the very end of the second turn, and they're like, what is in your bag? I said, this and this, and they go, you've had weapons. I was like, what weapons? They say, a staff and a scythe. I'm like, oh, I just thought that was my farming equipment and my, my walking stick because I live in a hermitage and I had to like travel to town to find you guys. That's one of those random things that is a, if you're not used to gaming, that is a hundred percent expected. Video gaming. Really any kind of gaming like that, but but especially video games when you're not used to like, you know, you're in this, you know, thing and you have a staff. That's not just a walking stick. I mean, yes, you can use it as such, but it's likely also your defense weapon. And that's something you're not accustomed to because you don't play video games. Growing up with video games, it's into uh, us, it clicks immediately. There's no thought about it. Boom, I have this, it's my weapon, right? So there's that. Um, and I also tried to approach the villain and have a conversation with them because we had, in my defense, we had met like a random huntress. We had met a ghoul who like served me dinner. And so we meet this lady who's like performing a ritual and has severed hands tied to her belt. And I'm like, ah, oh, another person to talk to. But what's funny about that is... <laughs> In doing that, right, and not being in not being accustomed to how role playing games work, that's allowed you now to build your character's story in a different manner than what most would. All you of had us to revive me. So well, I bought you dinner. All of us immediately said we're in combat, but in, you did not take it that way, which adds to your character's story of their social cues are really bad. <laughs> the lady says, "I'm going to cast a lightning bolt at you," and you're just like. Eh, okay, you want to talk? What's going on, lady? How's it? How I'm is like, it? Wait, why are you doing this? Who are you? Exactly. So I feel like that's part of the storytelling, and like I don't want to get too deep into Talisman because you know we're talking more about storytelling itself. But that's part of your character story, right? Your inexperience with tabletop role playing games and part of my story <laughs> is now part of your character's story. It's yeah. part of what you've put in, even if it wasn't intentional. You're forever going to remember your first like true campaign you played in. And how you didn't have a clue that A, you had weapons, or B, that this lady that shot lightning at you out of her fingertips <laughs> wasn't unfriendly or wasn't friendly. In my defense, like you guys had like a sword and like archery tools, yeah. and I like a staff. I'm like, oh, walk and stick. <laughs> yeah, but it makes sense. But that's what's fun about anything to do with storytelling. Now, role playing games, obviously, it's much easier to have those storytelling moments because. <laughs> That's what role playing games are is being told a story that you get to participate in. 
a board game like Call to Adventure or Arkham Horror the Card Game, the LCG, or even like Time Stories, each one of those approaches storytelling in a different manner, but there's just something about playing something that is heavily story involved that really does just like, it makes you have fun because you not only get choice, whether it be limited to pick one of these two options or in a role-playing, tabletop role-playing game, uh, what do you want to do? And it's wide open. No matter what, having the option to do something that influences your story that at the end of that game, you now have a memory of these awesome things. There's something about that that is very intriguing over, remember when I played this card and got three points? Right. Which I have, you know, of course, I love Euro games are my favorite games, but I just feel like storytelling is one of those things that when you, when you come across it and you find games that do it well, I just think it's one of the coolest things that can be done, basically. Same here. So yeah, I think that kind of wraps up the chat on uh, storytelling games. Let's get to the question and see if we can keep this episode under an hour. Wraps up the story of the storytelling games. Hey. Tale as old as time. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special, Bite Size Question. So the question for this episode, as I finished my beer forever ago, is going to be, which classic Dungeons and Dragons alignment is it do do we want to ask which one we are or what we want to play the most because I feel like what we want to play the most is the most fun like which one do you find that you think would be the most fun to play I feel like it's the same for me it's the same okay what's yours I think I'm chaotic good that's probably right (laughs) pretty accurate (laughs) so for those of you who don't know uh, the classic nine alignments for Dungeons and Dragons, they go between good, neutral, and evil. So you have chaotic good, neutral good, and lawful good. You have chaotic neutral, true neutral, and lawful neutral, and then chaotic evil, neutral evil, and lawful evil. All of them are different, and most people are like a neutral good. That's generally, sometimes if you're like a paladin or a priest, you fall under the lawful good. You'll get a couple neutrals, like a true neutral or a lawful neutral, but you don't get much of the others depending on your campaign, depending on your DM, your experience in the role-playing world. Uh, So, Haley, you said chaotic good? I feel like I'm pretty unconventional when it comes to problem-solving sometimes. That's true. And it frustrates the crap out of you. But you all do it for the best intentions. For the best intentions. I think that's probably pretty accurate for you, actually. (laughs) Well, for example, today I went to the grocery store. I tried to get some vegan cupcakes, and they're right next to the non-vegan ones. And I had good intentions, but what did I choose? What did I pick up? You picked up the non-vegan ones. Picked up the non-vegan ones. And I, yeah. So little things like that. But also when it comes to, like I said, problem solving, making things work, and making coffee in the morning. I had the best intentions, but a little chaos gets creative. Exactly. Uh, I think personally, so if I go, mine are going to be different. I feel like I'm like a neutral good right? I generally do what I think is good. Sometimes it's a little wacky and other times it's, I'm following the rules very strictly, but I feel like neutral good is probably my true personality. In terms of a game, I really want to play a lawful evil one time where you literally just do everything evil because it's the evil choice. I feel like playing that would be so much fun. Like by your own moral code. Kind of. This is the way you go. Even though it's evil. We would have to like look at a true graph of everybody. 
But there's a there's a role playing game out there, and I think what it is is you play either kobolds or goblins. So all you're doing is just being shits, and that's the whole thing. You're evil and messing with people, but you're little goblins or little kobolds or whatever. And that sounds like a blast. See, that's how I know it could never be evil because like I could never play. What was it the the video game where you create your own pandemic in order to? Oh yeah, yeah. I could uh, never. I think it's just called epidemic, maybe. Like epidemic. I could never play that. I could. I don't want to play a game where I'm evil and like doing things. So I am good, but <laughs> I I I don't like to follow the law. I also like some sort of direction, and I also mess up a lot. So I'm a little chaotic. I think that probably works for yeah. you. Well, I think that that's good for our alignments this time. Uh, if you ever want to look up your alignment, there's plenty of quizzes online that you can find. You should do that and then tweet at us at Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. You can also find us on all other social media. And by that, I mean Facebook and Instagram. All the posts are basically the same thing. Twitter is where we are by far the most active. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for our social media. You can always find me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. Don't forget our shout outs, Delty Poo. I know, I haven't got there yet. If you want us to look at a game, answer a question, consider a topic for the episode, send us a nice, kindly worded email to contact at malthousegames.com. You can also head to malthousegames.com, which is our website that lists the episodes we've gone over. And I'm just remembering I haven't put up episode 93 in the correct manner on there. It's been a problem keeping up with the website. Every episode, I generally like end up catching up. It's weird. But head over there to look at all our episodes. You can also find a link to our Patreon, or you can go to patreon.com slash Games. On Patreon, we have different levels, which is basically levels of shout-outs, where we say thank you so much for supporting us and helping us maintain, helping us get new equipment, because I really need microphone cables, so I think that's going to be coming up pretty darn soon. Sure thing. Getting some microphone cables that are actually good quality, not the cheap ones that I could find. Uh, we have some current patrons on Patreon that back us at a level to get shout-outs on the podcast. Including Malthouse Games' number one fan. That is Allison. We also have Alan, Jesse, Catherine, Cliff, and Jennifer. Thank you all for supporting us at a level in which you get shouted on the podcast. Woo, shout! Thanks to all of our Patreon supporters for being awesome, and we really, really appreciate all of you. I think that that does it for this episode. Uh, keep an ear out on the next episodes coming up this summer. At some point, we will update as to the status of if we will attend BGGCon or not. Uh, that is still very much up in the air. And it could be not till the end of August that we make a decision because they release tickets then and we're going to contact friends and there's all kinds of stuff to go into it. Logistics. It is logistics. Uh, between now and the next episode, I will turn 30. 30, flirty, uh, and thriving. So this is like, I don't know, my birthday episode, I guess, now. Oh, happy birthday. Or maybe birthday. that's the next one. Either way. Oh, so Delton has a oh. whole bunch of things he gets to do for his birthday that he don't know about so yet. So that means the next episode will be the birthday episode. We will talk about the things I get to do on my birthday. And if I happen to get any birthday money, I'm buying a bunch of flesh and blood cards. So Because flesh we are. and blood needs flesh and blood, and you're the one that I need. Thanks. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to do it today. So until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Listen to some Johnny Cash. Bye.